first reading is taken from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, starting at verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, you should follow the directions I gave to the churches of Galatia. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save whatever extra you earn, so that collections do not need to be taken when I come. And when I arrive, I will send any whom you approve with letters to take your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I do not want to see you now just in passing, for I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. The second reading is taken from the book of Galatians, chapter 6, starting at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbour's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Did you know that there are only 161 days to go until Christmas? How does that make you feel? Energised? Excited? Depressed? Despondent? Have you started your Christmas shopping yet? Are you the kind of person who collects presents throughout the year, putting them on one side, so that come December it's just a question of wrapping and posting? Or are you someone who leaves it all until the last minute for that adrenaline-fueled flurry of Amazon purchases and trips to the packed shops of Oxford Street? Have I just made your day or ruined it by mentioning Christmas? Can you feel it lifting you up or weighing you down? Paul Simon, in his wonderful song, Getting Ready for Christmas Day, captures something of the stress and the expense of Christmas. From early in November to the last week of December, I got money matters weighing me down. Oh, the music may be merry, but it's only temporary. I know Santa Claus is coming to town. In the days I work my day job, in the nights I work my nights, but it all comes down to working man's pay. Getting ready, I'm getting ready for Christmas Day. I do love Paul Simon. Just as an aside, Liz and I were fortunate last year to go and see a, an evening of Paul Simon and Sting performing together each other's songs and separately for about three hours over at the O2. It was just wonderful. Anyway, it's ironic, isn't it, that the approaching Christmas season, when it comes, is for so many people a time of increased stress, particularly given that Jesus tells his disciples that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. 
it may be a myth that the suicides rates spike in December. It actually goes down in the run-up to Christmas, only to rise dramatically in January. But the stress of our cultural celebration of the birth of Jesus is a burden that weighs heavy on many of us. And I wonder, not just at Christmas, but at other points in the year, those pinch points, maybe the holiday season approaching or the kids going back to school and you know those points where you need that bit of extra money do you feel that things are starting to weigh you down i got money matters weighing me down says paul simon is life as they say getting you down in our reading this morning from galatians paul tells his readers that they are to bear one another's burdens And this week, as I've been preparing to preach on this, I've been wondering what this might mean for us in 21st century London. What does it mean for us to bear one another's burdens? And then I started thinking, well, what are the burdens that we carry? Yeah, there's there's the money one. I've already kind of explored that in my opening illustration. But I wonder what other burdens we might carry with us through life. And I'm not just being rhetorical here, actually. I wonder if you've got some ideas to help me. I've got a few written down that I might say in a moment. But what do you think the burdens are that people in our city, your city, perhaps if you're here from North America, welcome, friends. But what are the burdens that we're carrying with us through life that people carry? Just shout one or two out. Illness? Yes, thank you. Illness, ill health, absolutely. Isolation, yeah. Housing problems, yeah. Climate change, say that again. Loneliness, yes. To which I might add issues around inequality, whether that be to do with gender, ethnicity, sexuality, or social standing. Issues around addiction, low self-esteem, relationship breakdown, stress, mental health problems. We could go on, I'm sure, if we gave ourselves some time, generating the things that we carry with us. And all these things, and so much more, are burdens that weigh us down. The thing is, of course, we don't each of us carry each and every burden. The person with financial worries may not suffer from addiction. The person with a stressful relationship may not have mental health problems. But as we saw last week, it's when several burdens come together at the same time that a person's life can reach crisis point. So, for example, we're told that the main indicators of the risk of becoming homeless are a combination of three factors, three burdens. If simultaneously you are suffering from a period of poor mental health, a period of financial instability and a relationship breakdown, you are at top risk of becoming homeless. If those three come together, they can prove a burden too great for one person to bear without them in some way stumbling or breaking under the strain. So what does it mean for us to bear one another's burdens? Well, One thing it doesn't mean is us indulging in a kind of communal assertion of individualistic fatalism. 
Let me explain. Have you ever heard people say, when referring to some burden that they have in their life, oh, it's just a cross I have to bear? It's a comment that's often said alongside phrases such as, you know, these things are sent to try us, or the Lord will never send you more than you can bear. All of which may have some basis in the Bible, but which taken this way become less statements about the good news of the coming of Jesus and more a kind of fatalistic mantra about the vagaries of life lived before a capricious God. We are indeed called to follow the path of Christ by taking up our own cross and following him, yes. Mark 8 tells us that Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. But this call to costly self-denial and sacrificial discipleship that Jesus speaks of when he calls his disciples is a long way from the idea that we're called to a life of quiet martyrdom to our personal burdens. And similarly, the idea that these things are sent to try us and that the Lord will never send you more than you can bear, whilst having their origins in Paul's comforting words offered to disciples facing suffering and temptation in 1 Corinthians 10, they're not biblically valid aphorisms designed to provoke a kind of stoic endurance through those times when life seems burdensome or unbearable. We are not called in Christ to lives of individualistic fatalism, where we bear our burdens alone and just have to deal with whatever the Lord sends our way. And to assert that this is what bearing life's burdens is about is actually, I would suggest, a kind of denial of the resurrection. It's the carrying of the cross without the lived reality of the new life that the cross brings. Our approach to life's burdens should be one which is motivated by God's power of life to uphold and release rather than by the powers of death to stifle and ensnare. Carrying the cross without embracing resurrection is to miss the point of the gospel. So, imagine, a person is saddled with the heavy load of caring for a sick loved one. Maybe they have come to just view this as the cross they have to bear. I can think of people like that. I wonder what difference it might make for them to come to experience the care they are giving, not as an unsought burden, but as a positive choice taken to care for another, as an expression of the love that God has for the person who is now sick. But how might such transformation take place? How can someone trapped in a spiral of dependency resentment find a new quality of life through their unsought responsibilities? Well, I wonder what difference it would make for them, for example, if the burden of caring were shared with others, as fellow members of the community of Christ helped bear that burden with them. In my own experience of ministry and pastoral care, I've seen over and over the life-giving difference it can make to a person when they realise that they are not alone in their responsibilities. When others 
help carry that burden with them. This is when the cross becomes the resurrection. And we have to let go of our fatalism and our stoicism and our internalized martyr complexes, and let's not kid ourselves, we've all got them, to allow others to minister grace to us in the name of the one who comes to serve and who calls us to acts of mutual service. It's not easy, is it, letting somebody else help you? I mean, I'm, I'm strong. I'm independent. I don't like other people doing stuff for me. I want to carry it all through life. And I don't think I'm unusual. What does it mean for a strong person to let somebody else help them carry their burdens? Well, it means learning humility and learning that we're not as strong as we perhaps think that we are. Do you remember the powerful image of Christian in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, published in 1678? Christian, the character in the novel, is weighed down by a great burden, which for him is the insight he's gained into his sinful nature. And he sets out on a journey to see how he can be relieved of his burden. And he meets various characters along the way. So he struggles through places like the Slough of Despond, and he gets waylaid by conversations with Mr. Worldly Wise Man and Mr. Legality. I've met them too, and others. And eventually he finds his way to the place of deliverance where he is able to lay his burden down. However, he then discovers that his journey through life is far from over. And he has to make further adventures through places like the Valley of the Shadow of Death and Vanity Fair and Doubting Castle. And along the way, he discovers the importance of friends like Faithful and Hopeful who help him carry on even when he feels the weight of his past sins coming back to burden him once again. And eventually, with the help of the others, he makes it safely over the river of death and takes his place in the celestial city. The allegory is effective and clear. If we are to make it faithfully through this life, we need to bear one another's burdens. We cannot do it alone. And here's the thing, it has to be mutual. One-sided burden-bearing doesn't work. We all have our burdens to bear, and if we take on someone else's burden without someone then helping us to carry our own also, we just become even more weighed down. Those of us who have been through uh, therapy such as uh, counselling or person-centred therapies, such as psychoanalysis. Those who've been through that will have found that the act of sharing their burden with the therapist is crucial in finding it easier to carry, or indeed sometimes in being able to lay it down altogether. Healing happens in the therapy room. But although the therapist might be able to help you shed your burden, they are also at risk of inappropriately taking it upon themselves through uh, transference. And a good therapist wouldn't dream of offering support to someone else without having a structure in place for good supervision and support themselves to ensure that they don't then end up walking around carrying everyone else's burdens. And the same, of course, can be said for many of us who spend our time sitting with and supporting those who are finding life hard to bear. 
If I am to be effective as a pastor, and if we are each to be effective as burden bearers for others, we too will need support and help. So, for example, I go to see my spiritual director about once every six weeks, and I've done that since my ordination to ministry way back in the last millennium. It is the, this is the beauty of mutual burden bearing. We don't have to be strong to do it. Actually, sometimes the most effective burden bearers are those who are themselves weak and carrying the scars of life. Because through our weakness, we have discovered the importance of being willing to allow other people to help us discover strengths that we would never have been able to summon on our own. I spoke last week about the idea we're exploring of offering a volunteer-run debt advice service here at Bloomsbury, offering help and support to those who are struggling under the burden of debt. I also asked for volunteers, which haven't been forthcoming yet, so this is, this is call number two. I'm a bit concerned that some of us might have got the idea that the only people who can offer such help are those who have never struggled with debt or money worries themselves, or perhaps those who've got degrees in finance or something like that. Actually, I'd like to suggest that the opposite is probably true. The most empathetic ear, the most sympathetically offered advice may well come from the person who has been there themselves. This, of course, is why 12-step groups are so effective. Because they provide a context where a group of people can speak with utter honesty about their addiction, knowing that every other person in the room has experienced the same addiction. And the healing and the release comes through the group, bearing one another's burdens, through mutual shared vulnerability, rather than the futile attempt to exercise an addiction by brute strength. The way out of an addiction begins the moment you realise that you can't conquer the addiction yourself. This is why we host anonymous groups here at Bloomsbury. They sneak in and they sneak out and healing and transformation happens in little rooms upstairs and down in the basement. You see, this burden-bearing thing isn't some theoretical idea with no practical outworking. Rather, it is the sharp end of the transformation of people's lives as they make their journey from the kind of stoic, individualistic, fatalistic cross-bearing that just weighs down and leads to death into the living out of resurrection and the opening up of the path to new life. So what might bearing one another's burdens look like for us here at Bloomsbury? It might look like volunteering to become involved in the new debt advice scheme, helping bear the burdens of financial stress. Come and talk to me or to Dawn or to Liz. It might look like giving financially to the church and to the hardship fund, allowing this place to minister to the immediate needs of the poor and the vulnerable and to offer long-term support to the congregation and the other groups that meet here. It might look like committing to come to the art therapy taster session that's happening here downstairs after lunch on Sunday the 6th of August and discovering for yourself 
how therapy can begin to untie the bonds that hold our burdens onto our backs. If you are planning on running a mile from art therapy, you might just want to ask yourself what it is you're running from and whether coming along in a low-key way and having some fun with some paints and seeing what we discover might be worth doing. Do you have the courage to do this? To begin the journey of allowing another person to take your burden from you? As I said, many of us, myself included, live our lives out of a narrative of strength. We're the strong ones, the capable ones. And even if deep down inside we know that we're not, and somewhere in our darker moments of the night we know that we're broken, well, we still have to look like we're strong and capable when we get out in public. We may know deep down inside that there's a disconnect, a pain, a harm, a hurt, an addiction that weighs us down and stops us being the person we could be. But the thought of admitting it to ourselves, let alone to someone else, is itself a concept too threatening to contemplate. Well, all I can say really is that without allowing the other to bear your burdens, you're not going to be able to bear the burdens of others and the gospel of Christ is diminished in our midst. In order to find release, we need to stop being strong and instead we need to find a different strength that comes through mutuality, not individualism. And this concept of mutuality isn't something fuzzy and emotive and, ugh, not for me. Although it does make perfect emotional sense, honestly, to admit weakness and seek support. But mutuality can become something profoundly transformatory in both the political and the economic sphere. The financial institutions we know as the building societies, along with companies like the John Lewis Partnership, were founded on this concept of mutuality. Into that mix, we might put workers' cooperatives, friendly societies, benefit societies. These institutions have enabled people to collaborate for mutual benefit in the face of a workplace environment where otherwise the benefit always went to the owner or the shareholders of the business. The whole concept of the economics for the common good is based on the idea of bearing one another's burdens, where the weakness of the individual becomes transformed through sharing and collaborating with others. I have a chapter in a book which will be coming out later this month. Uh, it's edited by Virginia Moffat, the Catholic uh, social activist who used to work here at Bloomsbury with Ecclesia. It's a series of essays by activists and theologians looking at how Christianity can reclaim this language of the common good. If you're interested, there'll be a book launch here on the evening of Wednesday the 20th of September. And if you're planning on going to Greenbelt Festival this year, uh, their theme for the year is the common good, and I'm going to be speaking at a panel to do with this book at Greenbelt. And it's all about how we can bear one another's burdens. How can we construct our relationships relationally, but also economically and practically in order that we can help lift one another up where we cannot do it on our own? How can we bear one another's burdens? Well, here's the beginnings of a way forwards. London Citizens, the community organizing network that we're a part of here at Bloomsbury, interestingly, doesn't speak about empowering people. 
They say that to, for me to try and empower you, if I am strong and you are weak, is simply a narrative of the powerful gifting power to the disempowered. It's a disconnect. It's, it's from the top down. Rather, they speak of organizing the powerless so that together they can take the power they need in order to release themselves from the burdens of oppression. It's not one way, it's mutual. And our reading from 1 Corinthians 16 gives us a great example of Paul doing the first century equivalent of community organising. The early Christian community was strung out around the Mediterranean, and in every area it was facing persecution and hardship. The Jerusalem church, however, were facing particular financial difficulties, and some of the members there were facing starvation. So Paul set about organizing this weak community of Christians for mutual sharing to ensure that none were impoverished. Each little congregation on its own could not solve the problem, but together they could save their mother church in Jerusalem from ruin. So Paul therefore set in place the motivation and the mechanism for a free gift of money to be sent from places like Corinth to where it was needed in Jerusalem, not out of some early communist idea, but simply because of the conviction that in Christ there is an obligation to care for our sisters and brothers in Christ. In short, there is an obligation on us to bear one another's burdens. Is one of you starving? Then that is all of our problem. We spoke last week about the need to move away from a patriarchal understanding of charity where the strong do things to the weak. We spoke about how sometimes charity offered with a good heart can inadvertently perpetuate the inequality that has led to the need for the charity in the first place. And we saw how we need to move away from doing for or doing to towards the concept of doing with. Well, this is what the bearing of each other's burdens is all about. It's about working with others to see burdens lifted. It's about the equalizing of power within the community. It's about the recognizing of mutual weakness and the discovery of strength that comes through mutuality. In short, it's about resurrection. It's about new life. It's about life coming in where death is otherwise winning. It's about the gospel of Christ taking root deep in our lives and in our community so that we might become the agents of transformation for the world. This is what it means for us to bear one another's burdens. So let's do it. Let us serve one another. Sister, brother, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ to you. But pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. We're now going to pray our intercessions. At several points during the prayer, I'll use the words, give us understanding. And I invite you to join in the rest of the sentence and the courage to walk alongside. Give us understanding and the courage to walk alongside. Let us pray. <clears throat> Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ 
to you. God of love, we come to you this morning to pray for your world and for our part in it. You have given us so much, yet there are many things that must make you unhappy. You ask us to help carry one another's burdens, that in so doing we will fulfill your law. Yet often we are unaware of, or just not interested in the needs of others, simply continuing with our own lives and making plans for ourselves. Powerful God, most of us are not in positions of power. We cannot easily change the laws of our country or international situations. We ask, what can we do? Help us to see that each of us has a part to play and something to offer. Give us understanding and courage to walk alongside. We pray now for those places in the world which are ravaged by fighting, where people are forced either to flee or live in extreme danger. We remember those who have drowned as they attempted to cross the sea in flimsy boats, victims of people smugglers. We pray for refugees still on the move, particularly for those many unaccompanied children who have reached Europe, but have been left to the mercy of traffickers and others who seek their harm. We ask that those in positions of responsibility may seriously search for and find solutions to these situations. Give us understanding and the courage to walk alongside. We pray for those with positions in national and local government, in the health service, the fire and police services, prisons and other places of detention, that they may carry out their duties efficiently, but with respect for those in their charge. Give us understanding and courage to walk alongside. Compassionate God, we pray for all with nowhere to live, on the street, in temporary accommodation. We pray for those seeking asylum or who are caught up in legal struggles, often not of their own making. Give us understanding and courage to walk alongside. We pray for those living under severe pressures from work or family circumstances or from life-threatening illness. We pray for those who are unwell both physically and mentally. We pray too for those who are facing important decisions and for all those for whom life is difficult. Give us understanding and courage to walk alongside. We pray for ourselves, that we may use our personal resources with care, our money, our homes, our skills, whatever we have, 
that they may be for the greater good and not just for personal benefit. Help us to become more aware of people and situations around us, that we may be more able to understand what we can do. Give us understanding and courage to walk alongside. Help us to appreciate those who offer us companionship and support along our way. May we recognize the significance of those who laugh and weep with us. Through all this, may we become what you want us to be and do what you want us to do. And we close with a prayer from Zimbabwe, which sums up our thinking today. Open our eyes, that they may see the deepest needs of people. Move our hands, that they may feed the hungry. Touch our hearts, that they may bring warmth to the despairing. Teach us the generosity that welcomes strangers. Let us share our possessions to clothe the naked. Give us the care that strengthens the sick. Make us share in the quest to set the prisoner free. In sharing our anxieties and our love, our poverty and our prosperity, we partake, we share in your divine presence. Amen. <laughs>